0: Thanks for joining me here at TAM Talks, a place for real and honest conversation. And my guest today is the bomb. Okay. He is one of my dearest, dearest friends. And whether you're on my podcast right now or you're watching me on my YouTube videos, we're so proud to have Sean Bowles. Sean's been a good friend of our house here at Influence Church, but he's just a deep man of God and even a prophet. We'll talk about that and what you think about prophets and what that means today. But as you know, we're in a series called Faith in America. Now, I know those two words don't always go together. We haven't always felt that church and government should be involved, but you might be changing your tune. You might be thinking, I don't know, maybe the church should get back involved. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, Sean, thanks for being a part of the podcast and the YouTube I love being today. here. I love being with
1: you. I'm so glad to be with you today.
0: Well, we're just going to get into some real and honest conversation. We're going to kind of just say some things that maybe people aren't saying. Um, and let's just go there with this conversation. So first of all, tell everybody about you. If they're not familiar with Sean Bowles and your ministry, tell us yeah. a little bit about who you are.
1: Well, um, I went from 27 years of teaching and prophetic ministry in the church, all kinds of churches around the world. Some of the greatest churches around the world, including yours. And then I transitioned and covid to doing social and journalistic commentary. And it was really interesting to me because I feel like part of the voices that sometimes what you can't say in a local church because you're trying to govern or pastor or comfort uh, it still needs to be talked about. Like we talked about on our show this week, Chris Tyson transitioning who was part of Mr. Beast's team, who's the number one YouTuber and a lot of local pastors. They can't talk about that at their church service or even in their home groups, but we can talk about it and talk about what Christians should do and maybe Maybe if we, do we need to bring Mr. Beast out of our house or do we need to like be on guard and and set some good boundaries and parameters for our families about this? And so I I went from being, you know, a general prophetic voice that taught about hearing God's voice to actually tackling some of the biggest issues in culture. And I work from Los Angeles. So I'm deeply involved in the entertainment industry, especially with what God's doing here in mainstream film and television, but I also work and produce content in Christian television as well.
0: Well, Sean, let's talk about that. Why do you think churches... Christians faith-based people don't believe these are things we should be talking about at our church and I'm going to get real real with you in a minute I want to hear your answer but you know you know at Influence Church we've taken a stand yeah. and my husband you know is now he has a news media outlet American faith so we've taken a hit I mean we've lost some church members who have just said I don't think that's the place for the in the pulpit but why do you think that is why, why can we listen to you you just said it
1: you just said it right there it's it's we're afraid of what we're going to lose. And I think, I think people are not trying to be polarized, but they're trying to be generalists. And they're afraid if they stand up for conservative values in certain areas, or if they, if they stand up for, if they take a stand in the LGBTQ plus issues, or if they take a stand in pro-life issues, that it's gonna to be too marginalizing for so many people in their body. But what we've seen, and we've had one of our close friends They started to, during Black Lives Matter riots and things, they started to say, let's have a discussion with Black Lives. And they brought in like seven speakers, and two of them believed in defunding the police, and three of them believed in like the whole police reform, and then two of them happened to be police officers. And it really leaned towards somewhere in the middle, but on more of a progressive liberal side. And they lost all the Republicans in the church, because they just were like, you didn't actually define anything, and you just had a lot of people share their perspective, and you never came to a conclusion or spiritually led us or fathered and mothered us. And we just feel like it ended up being wishy-washy more than it was deliberate. Then they then they started to take some stands against LGBTQ plus stuff, not directly against it, but just as far as like what we would allow to influence and how we're dealing with that in our church. And then they lost their progressive liberals. So in between, they had a bunch of people who had a lot of confusion on them and they weren't. They realized we're not really leading and bothering and mothering. We're actually trying to be so neutral that we're almost neutered. And I think that's, that that's oh, wow. the problem with a lot of churches is that they're trying to be so neutral and the gospel you can't be neutral about but you can be you can be pastoral and you can you can be somewhat of a generalist in some terms but there's certain things that we have to go after in our generation because we're not drawing war lines like when it comes to uh LGBTQ plus issue let's say i can fully embrace and accept someone's own choice and identity to go on that route without accepting that that's a right thing to do but as soon as I now need to accept it and embrace it every time I turn on my computer during Pride Month and there's gay flags that I can't take off my, I can't take off my windows because it's part of windows now. So it's in my house. Mm-hmm. I don't ask them to put a cross in their house, but they asked me to put a gay pride flag in my house.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: all of a sudden there's a war, a, a line you know, that's drawn or it could be the media that we're, you know, like we can't watch Disney Plus most of their shows because They have LGBTQ plus characters and my kids are eight and 10 and I don't want them to teach my kids how to relate to those characters. I want to teach them how to relate to it. So all of a sudden I have to look at it and go, there is woke, there's LGBTQ plus agenda. There's all these critical race theory agendas, all these agendas being expressed and the lines are now drawn to where now we need to push back and say, here's how we want our rights to be. And unfortunately, a lot of churches feel like even though the, they're not joining the war lines or the battle lines, they feel like if they engage in the war, that they're going to lose something.
0: Mm-hmm. The problem
1: is they're losing everything.
0: Yeah, man, They're losing you know.
1: everything. They're losing their authority. They're losing their voice. They're losing their father or mothership over people's mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad right now.
0: Well, and you know, Sean, it's, I have to ask a question. It's it's like, where are we going to get educated? Um, they're not going to school board meetings. They're watching maybe even woke news. And I guess I just feel like the the pulpit is a platform for truth, Full truth and all truth, love, graciousness, kindness, all of those things that are Christ, but truth. I mean, we're holistic beings. We know that right? We know that. So I need to holistically understand my responsibility in government, in my faith, in evangelism. And you know, first off, the Bible is probably one of the most political books out there. Jesus always came against Rome. He was always talking to, you know, the political leaders, to the governmental leaders. So I don't know why we have this mindset that churches are not supposed to be involved in politics.
1: Well, we've seen passivity has been our biggest thief in this generation. So our passivity has caused us to lose elections in different countries. Our passivity has caused us to allow certain agendas to that are so small. I mean, when you think of the LGBTQ agenda specifically, it's less than 7% of Americans. Really, it's probably less than 2% mm-hmm. or 3% mm-hmm. if you really you know dish it out. And yet it's one of the loudest voices right now in culture. And that's because we've been passive. That's because we haven't fathered and mothered and brought the institution of what marriage should look like. And it doesn't mean we don't allow people to have their freedoms. God can be seen in the midst of people grabbing hold of crazy freedoms that we don't agree with. But when we allow that freedom to be a dominant voice in culture, when we don't allow Mm. our voice to be loud because we're afraid or because we we advocate our position because we don't think it's our right, Mm-hmm. And we're, we're called the co-heirs and co-rulers of Christ, and we're supposed to bring him something that he's worthy of when he returns to the earth. Christianity is supposed to present him something that's beautiful yes. for him. Yes. He's not going to yes. come for a broken down, weak bride. He's going to come back for somebody who knows her identity. And yeah. so I feel like we're in this identity crisis as a church, but I do think what God's doing in like America specifically is very underrated. God's doing so much right now,
0: Amen. and I'm Amen. not afraid
1: of any of these agendas. Like it's yep. so underrated that sometimes when you listen to people talk about it, it's like there's from outside sources, like maybe from the UK, and I love the UK or Australia. It feels like there's this there's a there's this impression like. America's about to fall apart to the point where we're gonna be lost forever. But the reality is, is that God has a, a plan to trump all of that. And I'm not speaking about President Trump or former President <laughs> Trump, but God is gonna trump this mm-hmm. agenda of the enemy. God already has enemy in checkmate over America for every area that the enemy thinks he has God in, in check. Country. God's like, I've already checkmated you, bro. Like this is yeah. there's no way. So I just think we're at a much better place than we think we are. And all of this is on surface, so it's scary. But it's on surface, so it can be shaken out of us.
0: So good, so good. So, Sean, this is the truth. I mean, I tell my people when I coach them all the time, don't look at what the enemy is doing. do a, Look at what God's doing. And if you're like me, when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm seeing revival after revival, yeah. I'm seeing young people, I'm seeing Gen Z coming to faith in Christ, I'm seeing a new Jesus revolution happening. Um, and it's not just the people that I follow. I'm seeing this movement at our own church, as I mentioned to you. We have three major high schools here, a public high schools that we're having Jesus clubs in now with hundreds of so kids cool. coming so there is a move so cool. of Holy Spirit so I just tell people all the time let's talk about what he's doing God is moving in a mighty way let's speak it decree it prophesy it because he's moving but here's the question I have for you a lot of people are saying we're in we're in last days right we're in last days um, they we don't see America, you know, in the Bible and Revelation and last days. So maybe there's not going to be America. Maybe we're going to just self-destruct, maybe whatever. What what are your thoughts? What What's God showing you, maybe even on the future, a little bit of what we're seeing with America?
1: Well, people who say that um, don't really understand the full historical context of America because America emerged as a nation that there's never been one before or after it so far. You know, we haven't had another nation emerge and we're, we're relatively young But hundreds of years, we haven't had another nation that's fought for freedom of speech, fought for freedom of being able to defend yourself, fought for freedom of citizenry. These kinds of subjects that are more in line of the kingdom, we thought that the kingdom might look like, you know, 300 years ago, like the royal family in England and the church of uh, the Catholic Church in the Vatican City. But those were very institutionalized and very religiously tolerated and and actually repressed it in lots of ways. And I'm not against the Catholic church at all, but as far as the expression that that's how people saw, well, this must be what the kingdom of heaven's like. And then America emerges as a free individual country because we're justified by our own faith. We should also, as in our civil liberties, be able to protect ourselves, be able to have freedom of speech, be able to vote, be able to all these things. And so I think God looks at America as a young country, as a young rebellious teenager who needs to who needs different boundaries set, but he still loves her. It's not like this 50 year old woman who's had three affairs, you know, and has totally destroyed her marriage. This is like a young child who's coming into her identity and is going through an identity crisis that we see many 13, 14, 15 year olds go through. mm -hmm. So I think God's looking at it going, not like I could salvage this, like ah, this is someone who's having an identity crisis. What does a father do when their daughter's having an identity crisis? He presses in. He loves her. He connects new boundaries. He speaks identity over her. All these things you don't separate from a 14 year old who's in crisis. You actually go to counseling and therapy. You get help. You get resources. You plan things together. You don't, you don't give them up to the foster care system when you have two parents, you know? And uh, America has spiritual parents. America has a spiritual root system and prophetic promises on it that haven't come true yet. So I feel mm-hmm. like there's something really special on America. And I know I love every country. I, get, I can give you a, a rundown on most countries on what I think God wants to do. But America in particular, because our identity crisis is very public, it's very rebellious, it's very intense, just like it was in the 70s, right before the Jesus People movement, You in the late 60s, you have like, hippies who are doing free love. We have a drug crisis. We have sexuality crisis with all the diseases that go along with it. We had all this stuff, people leaving normal 50s type of households and becoming completely anti-establishment, people who hated the government, who hated the wars. And that's when Jesus came on the scene and used those exact same people, which were the least likely to be the ones who are now pastors. I mean, I I read a statistic the other day from Barna Group that 80% of the pastors who are in office, and it might have been more than that, are got saved in that period of time, about a six-year period of time, in America, and so we have a, a movement that redefined and shaped the church that we're living in now, and we're having a movement again. We're at, we're in the beginnings of it that's going to shape the church for the next thirty years, and I I don't think we're done yet. I don't think we're I don't I don't think we're going to become the the lesser power in the world. I just think we're in an identity crisis.
0: That, that's so good, so good. A couple of thoughts come to mind. First, you know, when we read the Word of God, Sean, you see over and over and over again whether it be Israel or whatever nation he's working with at the time, they become so rebellious. They turn their back, and it's a circle where they have to repent and come back Mm -hmm. and repent and come back, and we are no different than our forefathers. We truly aren't. There is always that point where we become so self-sufficient, so capable and able, and I think that's what happened in America. You know, we went through a period of self-sufficiency, and then honestly, there Absolutely. just has to be a, a a period of breaking down. But to your point, I want to ask you this question. I was one of those children of the late 60s and 70s, um, more the 70s and 60s, let me say. And my husband, as you mentioned, Phil, was saved during the Jesus movement. I mean, he was a, a typical guy from Denver, pre-law student, doing everything bad boys did in Denver at the time. And literally, Holy Spirit hit him and he was marked and called and saved. Wow. And that's what Holy Spirit's doing. And we got to remember Holy Spirit is drawing the church. He's drawing his children. And if you followed that, you know, the story of Lonnie Frisbee, you know, the story that right here in California, you know, he there he was in, in Palm Springs. We know that he had a gay lifestyle. We know that, you know, they all made their way to Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel. We saw a revival there and many things came out of that. The vineyard came out of that. A movement of the Holy Spirit came out of that. If you study history, my question to you is, do you think, just as we saw the hippies, and the church didn't know how to deal with the hippies. Cause I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and we didn't know what to do with hippies. You know, yeah. they didn't they didn't know how to talk to them. They didn't know how to relate to them. We don't know how to talk to LGBTQ plus whatever yeah. initials you want That's to put true. behind it. We don't know what to say. And to be honest with you, I could receive the hippie movement because a lot of my friends were hippies. I was bringing them home. we were feeding them and loving them. They were just free love, sex, orgies, all that stuff, honestly. Right. But, It feels different for me a little bit with the LGBTQ. And so talk to us as believers in the church. I love love anyone and everyone just like God does. He he did for me, right? What do we do? Where do we not compromise? Where do we draw the line? But where do we love?
1: I mean, it's going to be a very individual process for each believer in each church. But I think that Lonnie Frisbee's last prophetic word that he gave on his deathbed was, what the hippies were to the 70s, you know, Jesus people movement, the LGBTQ plus people will be to the next great movement. of God. Mm. And we're seeing that because it's, it's yeah. one of the things, why is it so popular and important right now? I mean, what kids who were goth back when I was a kid, you know, like when they were trying to be cool and different are now trans. It's like mm-hmm. there's an identity issue that people are trying to find expression through, and it happens to be through gender identity. It's not even as much sexual identity like the Jesus uh, People movement. There's a lot of sexual identity issues that were coming up, and that's when the gay thing really emerged in a in a more prominent way. This is more of a gender issue, and they both hit on identities, core identities that God wants us to believe about him, which he's a father, and that's a very specific gender. And he's a bridegroom, which is a very specific gender. And it puts wow. us in a place to where we understand our role of what we get to be and how we relate to him. So if he, if the enemy can destroy those identities and then destroy our gender, then he can destroy our ability to relate to God's purpose and plan for our life. So I think ultimately, you know, how we love people is going to be, that's how they're going to see God. And so we, I believe churches should allow everybody to come as they are. And if they want to have a place of influence or leadership, there has to be some standards and boundaries that we set in place. And that's where it gets hard because people who we really love a lot and start to want to work as children's workers or start to want to become like, you know, stage presence people on the worship team or whatever. and But they don't have a, an agreement in their spirit for what it is to be sexually pure or to be genderly pure then that's hard because then we have to say, well, we're not rejecting you because you, you're, you've are you always been welcome. You come to all the church picnics, you come to everything we do. But when it comes to having influence over our body, that's when we're going to put up a line. And most people who uh, have a different belief system, you have to realize like we all go to churches that we don't agree with everything the pastor says. There's people in your church who don't agree with some of the key points of what you say, but they found a comfort in the community, and the family, and they also believe in the majority. Mm -hmm. maybe there's a few things they don't believe in but they believe in the majority the problem with sexual identity issues is that it comes with a level of intolerance that's religious it's you don't believe in me you you're rejecting part of me so you're rejecting all of me so i will i will preemptively reject you first and that's the part where you know and i see this with christians are the first cancel culture i mean we canceled everything for thousands of years we've canceled everything so we should know better than anyone how to deal with someone who's intolerant because we've been the most intolerant people i mean you have, you know, Dungeons and Dragons in your house, canceled. You have, you celebrate Halloween, canceled. You play secular music sometimes, canceled. Like we, that's what we've done for decades. And so we should be able to look at somebody who goes, I'm intolerant towards you and say, I I know what it feels like to either experience that in a church or I've done that to people. And I'm going to reset my my religiousness, my religi- religiosity, so to speak. And I'm going to actually try and love you past. And can I reject a part of you without rejecting all of you? Can I reject part of your belief system without rejecting all of you? And and it's easy when it's your brother-in-law who's married to your sister and they just believe something weird about QAnon or something, and you can reject that part of them without believing all of them. But, But when it's somebody who's saying, this is who I am, and if you reject this part of me, all of me is not relevant to you. That's a really hard ultimatum. And that's what not all LGBTQ plus people do that. As a matter of fact, there's some really healthy, balanced people, even some some of the people who are social commentators for the conservative side, there's homosexual and lesbian people on this, on our cause for conservatism. Sure. sure. And yeah. I think of that and I go, you know, we like a Ruben report, you know, like the different people, we have to figure out how to do relationship with people that we don't agree with without without and we have to be able to compartmentalize like mm-hmm. that's a choice you're making that I cannot agree with. But being your friend doesn't mean that I'm in agreement with everything you are.
0: Right. That's so and good. that's
1: where Christians are not good at doing yeah. that. So then we're not very welcoming into our church because because we start to go, what if they're going to take a place of influence? And we have to tell them no, let's not have that battle in our mind or in our spirit. Mm-hmm. Let's have the battle of can I love them and their children well first. Mm-hmm. Oh. How do I integrate them into our children's ministry? Because they, there might be two mommies, and that might be the first experience mm-hmm. that there's there kids with two mommies that are coming to our church. And mm-hmm. and we aren't going to reject that. And they may never change. And we're not asking, we, we don't have the right to ask them to change unless they want to lead.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. hard. Okay. So these truly are real and honest conversations. You said two things, and we're going to find so many sound bites from just that last few moments. I love the picture that you just painted, both of the bride and the father. Yeah. That was so beautiful. I've never put that together. I mean, that's the attack of the enemy. So he's going to want to attack first of all the father, our father. So we've got father issues. And then the bride. I mean, those were two beautiful pictures. And then you really just convicted me again of just our intolerance. You know how the church is so we're we're so legalistic, you know. So we draw the line in the sand as though we're perfect, you're perfect, right? You know, we've confessed yeah. all our sin, therefore we're perfect. So who's ever listening right now, I think you need to stop and ponder these two things right now. Just ask Holy Spirit, are you willing to be used? Are you willing to be used to everyone in any way, mm-hmm. to everyone mm-hmm. in any way? And if you open your heart to that, God God will literally use you and your voice. Well, what I want to talk about, Sean, is um, I see you as just a prophet. You have a word, just that picture, that beautiful word picture God just gave you. Talk to me a little bit first about the gift of prophecy. I just did a series on Holy Spirit uh, here for our women's (laughs) ministry, and we walked through the gifts, and then we just really um, empowered people to walk in their spiritual gift. But prophecy, as we know, is a spiritual gift that God gives. Paul says, I wish you all it could have the gift of prophecy. Um, And there's probably people out there today that want it, that don't really have it, or even kind of manifesting in it, and maybe not even true prophets. Um, I know you to be a prophet of God, and you've got words of prophecy. So talk to me a little bit about that for someone who doesn't quite understand what is a prophet and and the spiritual gift behind it.
1: I'll talk about the gift first, because the gift's available for everybody. And it's a secret sauce to Christianity. The Bible and the Spirit are the secret sauce to Christianity. That's how you're going to grow in your spiritual growth journey. And I feel like when you get the prophetic on top of the Bible, it 10X your growth. It's just incredible. But Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2, I think, the best, where he says the Holy Spirit searches the deep, most innermost thoughts of God and then searches your thoughts and relates them to each other And you now have the perceptions of the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. So have you ever had, I mean, every Christian, even if they're like, I'm cessationist, I don't believe in the gifts. The reality is that you say when you first got saved, was there a time when you gave money because you were compelled to give? Yes, I gave money. I thought I was supposed to give extra money this Sunday or to this woman or to the widow or whatever. That's not you. You're not good enough to do that. So the Holy Spirit prompted you, which is a type of the prophetic, to lead Mm -hmm. you into doing something that you wouldn't do. And that's, that's a prophetic interaction between you and God. That's a spiritual revelatory interaction. Have you ever... know, repented of something that you all of a sudden realized was wrong. That's not you being smart enough just because you read the Bible and said, well, I'm making an intellectual choice. Most people aren't that good. But it's you going, this is actually costing me in my relationship. How did you get there? The Holy Spirit led you there. So learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit is not hard. It's not rocket science. People who are uneducated in Africa do it. People who are you know the most educated do it it's we can be led by the spirit of god and mm-hmm. most of that is prophetic and first corinthians 14 is the other scripture on that verse one it says follow love like your life depends on it and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy because when you prophesy and it lists out what it does when you speak from something from god's heart that that shows someone where god is in their life maybe their past their present or their future and there's a word of knowledge would be their past or present. Their future would be prophecy, but it's all the prophetic gifts. You know, if you give them wisdom in their life, it's a prophetic wisdom. And it awakens them to go, God is real. And they turn from their sin consciousness and they go, I need you. Like there's, I'm, this is what I'm wired for. That's mm-hmm. what Paul's saying in first Corinthians 14. Mm-hmm. So the prophetic and hearing God's voice is something that's a right as every believer. It's something that happens organically so much that we, when we train people, typically we have to reveal to them how they've already heard from God thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And we're waiting for that James Earl Jones voice. Here I am, walk with me. (laughs) But the reality is that God who doesn't fit in time and space somehow created a habitation in me and shares Mm -hmm. space in my spirit and speaks to me all the time and downloads Revelation, teaches me how to use the Bible with application, teaches me how to follow him. He's discipling me. That is a prophetic exchange, and it's not always a direct voice, but it is in my conscience, it's in my spirit. So most people hear by impression, which is when they just know something, they feel something, something that they wouldn't have thought of before comes into their spirit, their mind, their processor, because now they have the mind or the process of Christ. So that's kind of the prophetic, the most general, simple way I could put it. Then prophets, you know, being a prophet is somebody, everybody can hear God as powerfully as everybody else. But someone who has a prophetic assignment on their life for, for a prophetic ministry or to be called a prophet is somebody who God's going to choose regularly to speak his word or words over a certain people group and industry. Uh, you know, a political arena, a church arena. And so many prophets are are in business or in in mainstream culture. They might be a prophet to the church. It might be a, a jack of all trades. And so you see these great vessels who God regularly kind of reveals times and seasons and gives them words that move people or movements or things forward. And God consistently chooses to use them and they consistently have a passion to make that available in their life. So for me, I I have had so many times and I'm currently in the middle of a lot of them where I carry people in my spirit or my prayer life and i can't help but think of what's next for them and i can't help but see god's heart and i contend and i pray until i see something i see a glimpse of their future to help call them higher to more opportunity to more resource more relationship more connection i also can't help but watch for the things that would maybe break down what god's doing in their life so i might see you know some some uh, arrogance or i might see some some uh, unbelief or i might see something like in their marriage at work that Three years from now can become really destructive. And so I also talk to them about the hard things at times as well to, to help them to prepare themselves to be able to receive the good things. And so I've, I'm a watchman person where I can watch out for the hard things, and I've mm-hmm. helped many people walk through some of the hardest seasons of their life, many mm-hmm. major leaders of business and ministry in different areas, but I've also helped people come higher, which is the majority of what I do, is to mm-hmm. help people come higher in their calling and their assignment mm-hmm. so they can mm-hmm. really fulfill the greater things that God Predestined him for before yeah, time began. Yeah.
0: You know, I love what you just said. And I love the fact that what you did, you you gave us permission to activate Holy Spirit in us. And you may literally so many people feel like unless you're part of a charismatic movement or four-square movement or something like that, that you don't flow in the gifts of the spirit or that you can't be a prophet or have the gift of prophecy. But did you hear what Sean just said? Literally, if you begin to say Holy Spirit, prompt me, and it's his prompting, you know it's coming from him. You're not that smart. You don't have those sensations on your own. That's Holy Spirit giving you a gift of prophecy to proph- prophesy over someone or even just course correction. So I, w- I want to conclude with this in our last few moments together. We know that in Joel two two, we know that there's a prophetic word that in the last days we're going to have, you know, your sons and your daughters will dream dreams, you know, we'll have visions. Um, let's talk a little bit because I think that the church is waking up mm-hmm. and wanting a movement of Holy Spirit many of us are praying for dreams at night. We're asking God to give us visions. We want to see what he sees. You know, we want to go down that pathway. And I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about yeah. sex in the church. It used to be you know certain groups would pray that way, right? Talk to me about what you see and give us some, again, some coaching a little bit here, Sean, how do we pray for those visions and, and ask for the visions and dreams of God?
1: Well, I mean, the good news is is that when you I deal with people who research what are the trends in the church right now so they can market to them, um, some of those groups have come to me and said the number three thing in all the church that people are asking is how to hear from God. Mm-hmm. And it's never been even in the top 10 before. So people are hungry for the supernatural. They're hungry to hear from God. I know you were watching. You guys who are watching. You have to be hungry for God. You have to, otherwise you wouldn't be here. And so I think, you know, the, the big thing is that realizing that me plus God equals something, And so if me plus God equals something, there's something that I get to do in my gap between me and what God equals. It's called faith. Believe for, I get to believe for something and an uncommon result, a result that's not even on the table of being talked about, like there's maybe two options and God always brings a third option or an option we wouldn't think about in our own mind, our own strength, even with the greatest experts, God has solutions. He has his kingdom transformed. So his kingdom brings us from a low place into a high place. His kingdom brings first response. So Christians are the greatest responders when it comes to foster care and adoption and world relief and persecuted church, these kinds of things. Christians are incredible at this. And that comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us, leading us to say, have compassion for this child and giving us empathy or whatever it is. So God's already at work within you. He's already at work within us. So if that's true, how do we partner more directly? Well, I think looking at some of the things we're valuing and believing God for and asking specific questions and doing some listening for it. I don't know if you've done much listening prayer, but listening prayer is one of the keys to hearing God's voice. Instead of doing second commandment prayers or devotional prayers, which is, oh, Father God, I pray for my aunt. I pray for the missionaries in Africa. I pray for my church. And that's all good. We need to do that. We need to pray. And I love, I mean, Tammy, you're a woman of prayer, but there has to be also something where we go, okay, some of the themes in my life right now, where you're transitioning me or you're moving us, or you're doing some things, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life that you'd like me to see right now? And he doesn't always answer us again directly. Sometimes it's not direct speech, but we're giving him room that when we have that conversation later with that friend at church, or when we are listening to a sermon, a podcast on the road, or when we're in a time of worship, we've given God room and space to define something to us because we've articulated, we've we've actually made room, we've created a landing strip for God to speak. And sometimes it will be to us directly, and sometimes it will be indirectly through the atmosphere of the world that he loves to use around us, because he's mysterious, parabolic, and he loves to speak in ways that we wouldn't anticipate to really not just get us to do something for him, but to do something with him. And that's really key, is that he wants to speak to us in a way that will do something with him, and and, and do it in a way that's relational, not just as a commander-in-chief, and we're just serving him. He is our father, and he's giving us his inheritance, even here on earth. It's a a foreshadow of that. So I, I just want to encourage all the listeners, listen, do some listening prayer every day, even if it's just three minutes, mm-hmm. ask them one or two big questions every day for three minutes, and then start to, you know, write down when you get those answers, write it down and say, this is how God answered me. And this is, man, that's powerful. And it'll get more profound as you go, and you'll mm-hmm. ask better questions as you go.
0: That's so, so good. You know, I want to conclude with this, John. something I've been doing here at the church and with uh, our women's ministry is teaching women how to quiet their soul. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. And in all the craziness, Sean, right now, all the scrolling, all the Instagram, all the media, there is something about fighting for the discipline of quietness Mm -hmm. and to be still. And to your point, I believe when we're quiet is when he begins to bring those dreams and those visions, because our minds are so cluttered with confusion that we have to outs the enemy, get him out of our mind and our thoughts. And when we're still Holy spirit comes and he gives us insight, wisdom and revelation. And it's It's so so beautiful. It's It's so, so, it's so beautiful. So I'm just, I want to encourage you right now, as you're listening, a lot of information that Sean just brought us today. So listen and re-listen and take notes, then do exactly. Like he said, do a listening prayer walk, be still and know that he's God force yourself force the enemy out of your mind take every thought captive by renewing your mind and be still we're doing that at our home right now it's just silence and solitude for phil and i and we'll take periods where we're because we know honestly it makes the enemy so mad it makes hit the and if you want to fight the enemy and make him mad be still and let holy spirit come and bathe you and nurture you And give you dreams and visions. And I'm telling you what, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Look at what God's doing, not what the enemy's doing. So everything we've shared with you today are strategies and it's wisdom and it's biblical truth, but ultimately God wants to be your peace, your shalom. And so listen, God, God's got gifts and dreams and visions and spiritual gifts and insight, and he's not done with America and our greatest days are ahead. And all that is true. But make sure you know the God of the universe that gave us life for you. So, Sean, thank you so much. You are just Thanks we love you. Me. And guys, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have the um, honor of having Sean with us here at Influence Church uh, in two weeks. I, I'm sure what it, that's May. What is that? 21st. 21st. Okay. So if you're in the Anaheim area here in Southern California, join us here at Influence Church. Um, It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. But we love you. Sean and Sean, you You got Sean Foyt too. Sean Foyt will be here. It's going to be a (laughs) Holy Ghost revival in Anaheim. So come visit and um, be with us. We love you. We bless you. Thank you for everything you've done. You're just a dear friend.
1: Thank you so so much, Sam. We love you guys too, so much. Can't wait to be with you.
0: So guys, thanks for listening to Tam Talks. Again, if you're listening to me right now, make sure you share these podcasts with your friends. And if you're watching right now on our YouTube station, go down and click the notification. Make sure you're subscribing. We have great interviews every week. Love you guys so much. Stay tuned. Have a great day. God bless.